Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Dusek, and with us today is Yaley Suida Kamara. Yaley is a Sierra Leonean American writer and an Oakland native. She's the author of A Brief Biography of My Name, which was included in the chapbook box set, New Generation African Poets, and When the Living Sing. She is a Kalaloo Fellow and Yates Fellow. Yaley was a finalist for the 2020 National Poetry Series, the 2017 Brunel University African Poetry Prize, and a semi-finalist for the 2021 Cave Canham Poetry Prize. Her writing has been found in Poetry Daily, Android, Callaloo, and elsewhere. She has lived in France, Brazil, Oakland, Washington, D.C., and now Ohio, where she's receiving her Ph.D. in Creative Writing and English Literature from the University of Cincinnati. Yaley, thank you for so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Would you like to start us off with a poem? Yes, I would like to start off um, with reading Mother's Rules. And this is a poem um, that is 100% true. It's things my mom has said to me over the years. And uh, um, I don't usually tell her this, but she's mostly always right, but I keep that to myself. Mother's Rules for my mother. One. If you see me praying in the living room, never sit in front of me. You are not God. Two, when we go to a restaurant and I don't know any foods on the menu, never order me a meal that is spelt with silent letters. I came to eat, not to explore. Three, you didn't make food. No, God did. You cooked food. Watch your English, watch your faith. Four, your Creole is offensive. When you speak, you sound like Shaba Ranks. Your accent is funny, but keep practicing. It is the only way we will be able to gossip in peace while at the supermarket. Five, try to learn the language of your lover and his family. They could be smiling to your face and getting ready to trade you for six goats and three mules during your first trip to their homeland. Six, if anyone stares at you for too long, more than five seconds, start speaking an imaginary language while maintaining eye contact they will be the first to look away. Seven, consider the consequence of purchasing human hair wigs, secondhand clothing, and used furniture. Maybe you will feel beautiful and also save money, but you never know whose bad luck or misfortune will be sitting on your head, body, or in the home in which you sleep. Buy what you can truly afford. Eight, your father's Muslim, so you are too. 1989 to 1993. I'm Christian, so you are too. 1993 to 2012. I am Catholic now, but you keep praying. 2012 to present. Nine, you laugh at me now, like I laughed at my mother, like she laughed at hers, like your daughters will laugh at you, and I will live long enough to forgive your folly. 10, just make sure to pray. Amen. I'm I'm floored by that poem. I love it. Thank you. I, I, you know, I, I love the line, you, you know, your accent is funny, but keep practicing. That's the only way we'll be able to gossip in peace at the supermarket. And I love that idea that just, just make up a language. So they look away first, like don't back down. Yeah. And I think they're, they're funny lines, but they also highlight some of the, you know, more curious idiosyncratic headaches that foreign language speakers encounter when mm. you're, you're moving from place to place. So my question to you is, what do you want your work to convey? What do you think your mother's work channels and, and in, in terms of new places and the challenges they face? Right. So in terms of thinking about the lines of that poem, there are things that are perhaps humorous, but I think that what I value about um, the, the sort of the written kind of as commandments, there's 10 of them, are they're kind of, um, it's a playbook for survival. So it's um, being able to really understand your surroundings, um, understand what you're committing to, um, and understand the implications of being in uh, certain situations. And so um, when I think about um, what I want the poem to convey or things about my mother is that um, there are so many people around us that are so wise and brilliant and may never, that may never get communicated to a larger audience. And I think that my mother um, she, I always say she's my like first writing muse. She's probably the the greatest poet that I know and that, um, her command of Creole, which is a lingua franca of Sierra Leone is, 
um, her command is stronger than my command of English will ever be. The way that she knows how to maneuver and describe things in that language are untranslatable. And I can't even, I endeavor to do the same in English. Um, and I think uh, in terms of thinking about something else, I think immigrant narratives are really important in migrant narratives. And so how do we how do we change and evolve um, by virtue of movement? And not even just um, a movement like from one country to another, one continent to another. How does moving from one neighborhood change us or moving from one school change us or even moving next door? How do these things change who we are and how we see ourselves and also how we're received um, by by host communities or new places? And so um, I think that's a short answer to your question. Yeah. And and there's so much more because your work highlights this basically from start to finish. I mean, your life has been informed by movement and your yeah. life has been informed by integration and survival, surviving yeah. in these new situations. Yeah. Um, it, 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 the thought of, you know, your, your mother is fascinating. It, it, was she a writer or was she just incredibly wise? My mother is incredibly wise. She told me this story. I'm like, I don't know why she told me this, like, literally like the penultimate year of my PhD, like I've been alive for 30 plus years. And I just found out that she used to record children's um, stories for the National Public Radio in Sierra Leone. I'm like, why did you tell me earlier? That would have been very good for me to know or kind of understand what my impulses were. But she was just like, no, I, I, I just remember to tell you. And that's just kind of how she left it. And so there's things, <laughs> things about my mom too, that are, um, they're quirky and mysterious. But um, I think that that's part of the writing thing. But also, I come from a country where oral history is really alive. And Creole, again, is, is the lingua franca. Creole is not a, lit, a written language. There is a, a type of um, writing system for Creole, but it's a mostly an oral language. And so I think stories are being passed on the ways that stories are told. Um, they're really properly archived. And even my first name, Yeli, comes from the term Jelimuso, which is uh, it's the female griot or storyteller. Um, in West Africa. And so I like never had a chance to be <laughs> anything else but this. But um, the, the, um, the retention of, of stories and histories through um, oral expression is something that's really um, a cornerstone of the culture, of Sierra Leonean culture. Okay. And, and you, you've mentioned in the past, there was another writer, um, uh, named, I'm going to pronounce this, <laughs> I'm going to try to get as close as I can. Khadija Sisse. Yes, thank you, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. So Sisse's work, she was an activist, she was a poet, and you, you've you stated that she has a cultural narrative that's nearly identical to your own. She also came from Sierra Leone. Um, she also, her family shared a background of upheaval. She was, she was driven by the civil war that happened there. Um, so what did you learn from studying her work? And more broadly, what context does that narrative provide for your life? Yeah, I am such a big fan of Khadija Sisse's work. And um, what I really like about her work is that um, she, and there's, you know, different reasons why people migrate, chief among them. You know, there are all sorts of reasons, but one of them is for education. And she actually moved from, she was born in Sierra Leone and moved to England with her parents because her parents were pursuing higher education. So that was the impetus for their family's migration. Um, What I found, um, what I, and that was the the reason why my family moved to America. Um, My father moved to California and he went to UC Berkeley and my mother followed a decade later and they had started their family. Um, Well, my, I had my older sisters born in Sierra Leone, but the three um, other daughters were born in California. But what I found so and find so amazing about Khadija Sisse's work is that um, her family, I believe, is Creole and Mende, two different tribes, and my family is Creole, Mende, and Timni. And I've never seen someone um, write about having these sort of, um, the tension of different cultures within one family within Sierra Leone. And by cultures, uh, but by the tension, I mean um, the differences and also the similarities and all this love story born out of these different tribes. And I'd never seen that sort of um, exemplification um, and rendering of that story, like written. And she does this really cool work where um, the poems are in English and they're also in Creole. So that's something I'd never seen on a page either. And her book, Erki, which came out through PayPal Press, is just, um, it just, um, 
showed me that it's being done and it can be done in this really gorgeous, thought-provoking way. And I read, I'd read some of the passages to my mother and it sounded like some of the things that she told me um, about her own life and her own girlhood and falling in love. And I'd read them to my little sister too. And I'm like, that sounds like our mom, doesn't it? You know, or that sounds like something we've heard in our family. And so it's kind of like this, um, this reassurance that this, this narrative is, is alive and real and there's something to write into. Um, and there is, um, there's space for um, the creation of that sort of like written lineage. And, it, and maybe it's something that's more prevalent in England and not as prevalent in America because of like migration patterns, but it was just really exciting and inspiring to see that work. You asked another part of the question that I totally didn't answer. I don't remember what it was. Um, so what context does that narrative provide for your life? And how, what did you learn while studying her? Like craft-wise or in terms of maybe your muse or there's a lot of what I learned uh, craft wise is that um well I, I maybe I didn't learn this but I, I definitely felt encouraged I use Creole in my writing but she really like she really goes hard with Creole like she writes whole long beautiful passages in Creole and I think I've been you know stretches there's there's words and there's like lines but not a whole poem and so that felt like encouraged me to try my hand at that um, that's one thing, but even before that, just it, I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed the music of the language through, through reading, um, an interpretation of oral, like this, this, um, oral uh, dialect. Um, I think something else that I learned is that, um, it should be done. The writing should be done about these cultures, you know, like, I think there was just a reminder to continue to do what I've been doing. And also, um, I think it teaches me that while there are similarities in our stories, there are also differences. And in a country like Sierra Leone, there's so many um, differences. And, and in a story of migration, there's so many different ways the story can be told if even they're both representing um, one country of origin. And so I just I think it's just um, reminding me that there's space to celebrate diversity. Um, and so that was really exciting for me to see. And I will try to find her at the next AWP or write her an email after we get done with this. But I'm just such a big fan of her work. That's awesome. What did what did your mom say when you shared with her the, the her work? She's like, see what I've been telling you? <laughs> <laughs> so total affirmation from mom. Total affirmation from mom. And I think that I also, um, I feel like I, I was experiencing a joy. You know, my mother was happy that I was happy, but also really excited to see um, Sierra Leone on, on a map in another way. And that isn't to say that there is no Sierra Leonean literature. Of course, it's a rich history, but to see maybe me connect with this at this at, during my exam year and have time to really sit down and think about this work um, was really awesome for her to experience too. So I think contextually it was wonderful. And then also to sort of witness my enjoyment of it did something for her as well. That's awesome. That's so much nicer than just an I told you so moment, which right. she, she probably <laughs> also enjoyed. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So when yeah. you, when you're looking at, cause you say, you know, Sierra, Sierra Leone, it, it, the heritage is oral tradition. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the ben- so what do you think you know your English writing can benefit from and what do you think Sierra Leone you, like your 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 native language your Creole language how do those inform each other and and how could they that that you know merging those two together or how how can your work borrow one you know yeah. from mm-hmm. the and pass Absolutely. them along Right. So I think like thinking symbiotically, like how they can both benefit each other. Um, For me as as a writer, I guess that the ways that maybe maybe I'll frame it as the ways that both of them help me um, to write. I think for me, there is such a um, there's such a. um, So Creole is um, is a is a dialect that is um, based on. It's it's um, a melange of different languages. So you have Yoruba, Igbo um, dialects, as well as English and French and Portuguese show up in that language. So, so if I say like I know your mother, I'd say Asabi you mama, and Sabi. I mean, there's saber and there's conocer in Spanish, but saber is it's a way of saying to know, and it's it's a bit obviously different from the way that it's used in, in um, Spanish, but that's the way it traveled through the language. Or if you say like, um, 
I have a lot of kids. I get Boku Pekin. So, you know, Boku shows up in there. So there's all these ways that other languages show up in there. So I think that maybe there's an appreciation for language that's inherent in me because of that, um, or just inherently exists in me because of the structure of the language. But also there's ways that you have like words that show up in Creole that um, use English in an interesting way. So if I want to say that... um, that's too much. I say ipasmak, which means it's past the mark. And so there's all these ways that you kind of sit and think about the ways language are put together and like the structures of these, 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 like the language kind of creates these, um, their structures or buildings. And so it's kind of like thinking about the architecture of the language. That's something it's, it's provided me with an appreciation for that. Um, and thinking about, um, like how that, how that, I mean, I, I guess since that was my first language, that's maybe how I approach language and I really enjoy language and I've studied language for um, most of my life. But I think that it allows me to think very closely about words and the implication of words um, and what words do to welcome or exclude people in certain spaces. And so um, I think that's how it's helped me. Uh, it's, I, I think learning Creole or knowing Creole has made me more daring in English. I mean, it's made me more exploratory um, in English and it's given me this sort of fascination, linguistic fascination that um, feels like or I would like for it to be a hallmark of my writing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and you had, you had said, you know, Cissé's work goes hard, right? Like she, yeah, she goes, yeah. so how do you draw the line? Do you have rules that are that that you kind of think about it's like oh well yeah I'm trying to accomplish this so I want to put these words in or is it just something you feel out yeah that's a good question I think that maybe earlier on in my writing career I I did have particular types of rules like this is what I need to accomplish and I was just very stringent and this is how we're going to get from A to B and um there was um there were more parameters around it Um, And now I'm feeling a little friskier as a writer. I'm feeling like I can just try a couple more things. And so um, I think the ways, the only rule I have at this point is just to like think about what I'm trying to say. And so some things take a very long time to come out. Other things don't, but I just walk with my poems. And so that's, I think the most important thing is to to walk with your, with your writing. What I mean by that is working things out in my head. Sometimes I'll record things on the phone as I'm walking. Um, if that feels, <laughs> if that feels safe to do, um, uh, but, um, but it's just walking with the work. And I think like, in terms of like, if there's any, um, rules around language, um, and being expensive in another language, no, I haven't done it yet though, but that, but it doesn't mean that I won't do it. I feel more inspired to do it. I just have to figure out how that might work out. So, sure. yeah. And one one thing I've always been curious about is when you, when you go to inter, you know interject because Manuel Iris he is Mexican born and he writes his poems in both Spanish and English and and he puts them side by side yeah and I I one one of the, so my question is when you are, are are putting it together is there any do you feel any onus on you to make it comprehensible or do you just put the words in and say deal with this figure it out and enjoy it like enjoy the experience and I don't do you feel so I guess my question is do you feel beholden to readers that is a good question the only obligation I think to have I have to readers is that the writing is clear um and yeah you either rock with it or you don't and what I mean by that is um (laughs) What I mean by that is like, you know, context clues. There are context clues. Like I don't, I, I would never, it would be a disservice to me to write a poem that does not um, like allow the words to fully sing. And so you think about where you place the words, you know, and what's the context of the poem itself and how, what, you know, you got to think about juxtaposition. What does it mean when you put these two things by each other? Does it create a synergy or do things just blow up in a way that is like not useful for anybody? And so I think like, um, I feel beholden to myself to tell the best version of the story, the clearest version of the story possible. Um, and it's been pretty successful to do it that way, to have an allegiance to the words in that way. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's the answer I have for that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And bef- before we move on, I, I want to ask you about the themes that are in your work, because you have themes of migration, upheaval, 
freedom. So what can you tell, what, what do you want people to know about the volatility in your work? Do you see this is a gradient where there's order and chaos and, and you're, you're falling somewhere on that gradient or is that too simplistic? Are you trying to do something completely different? That's such a grown-up question, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> what am I trying to do with my work? I think like my answer for that is, is I'm just archiving. I'm archiving what I see. I'm trying to render what I see around me. And I'm trying to render, or I am rendering and I am archiving what intrigues me. Um, I think beautiful things intrigue me. I think poignant things intrigue me. Um, I think mundane things intrigue me. I think violence intrigues me. Um, But again, um, this always comes back to how it impacts the human condition. And so I think that is what my work thinks about. I also um, really, really like writing about joy. And I think that and this is nothing that you have suggested, but I think sometimes when um, writers write about what people consider to be happy, they don't understand that those are poems of resistance. Um, It's not just, um, it's not just a happy poem, but there's, there's, you have to push against something to write um, anything that speaks to joy or overcoming something, especially in this time where it feels like, um, there is a palpable darkness in this world. And so I think maybe if I could further elaborate, my work is a practice of illuminating and trying to bring light to um, people, um, places, histories, futures, um, possibilities, and just kind of thinking about where we're at also in this present moment. Okay. So uh, do you think that's, that's a product of our times? Like, do you think that happiness requires that asterisk, asterisk or is that something that it's like, well, I just am not feeling it because I, I agree. Like, I think there's a, this podcast is being recorded under the subtext of a fresh invasion that's rocking <laughs> the world right now. Like it's everybody's, yeah. everybody knows about it. It's depressing. Yeah. It's unjust. Yeah. and even my son's birthday is today, which is great. My nephew's birthday is today. Oh, happy birthday to them both. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a good day. It's a good day. And, you know, I'm not going to obviously bring it up with my kid. He's turning eight. But, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm preparing, I'm putting up banners and like blowing up balloons. And I'm thinking about Ukraine. And so yeah. I'm, to me, your words are resonating with me. What, I guess I, I'm, I'm curious how you see happiness in writing and if, if you're going to illuminate that happiness, is there a, a wider service that you should be doing as a writer? I, I guess like, I think for me, like, it's important to write about what you want to write about. But I, I think I feel very, not I think I know, I feel very firmly about um, writing about things of joy and happiness if you feel compelled to and not to be told that it's um, a trifling act to write about something that is joyful. And I think that kind of goes on. There's this sort of like, I don't want to call it a big debate. Maybe it's a micro debate. I don't know. I don't know what size like (laughs) it is on the debate spectrum, but around the, 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 the sort of, it, it's kind of, um, you know, pejorative to call somebody's writing sentimental, but what's wrong with like, if sentimental comes from to feel, like the root of that word is to feel, what's wrong with writing about feeling? And I think that like, I think it's really important to write about feeling, especially in this time where it's easy to get numb because of the, just the onslaught of, of, blues we've got blues we're dealing with you know and and death and all sorts of really difficult things but I think it's important to be tending to our hearts really and truly and I think that um that work is rigorous I think that's a hard thing to do and so I just um 
yeah, I just wanted to spend some time thinking about that and want to not lose sight of that in my own writing. Yeah. And, and personally, I kind of feel that when, when stuff is hitting the fan, you know, it, you just, the, the example with Ukraine, I, I just think it's, it's one of those things where when things are serious, it makes the minor moments like doing the dishes, vacuuming the house, putting, putting together a scrapbook. It makes those moments all the more meaningful because, absolutely you know, it heightens them and, and it does. You can avoid it. Absolutely. And I think those, yeah, those should be, those should be talked about. I think that reminds me of, um, James Longenbach has a poem called Thursday and he he describes the way that his Thursday unfolds and like there's one part of the poem that like zooms in on the um I shouldn't say James Longenbach the narrator the narrator's making Rosetta <laughs> and um it just zooms in on this beautiful mundane um act but there's so many amazing things that happen in the pot for this dish to come together. And the, the poem ends on um, just this sort of orientation in this space in the evening in that home. And you're talking to somebody on the phone that you love and you know that everything's going to be all right. And like, that's this, this poem that just meditates on how an evening unfolds in this house and like the safety and sanctity and the normalness of that. And I think um, similar to what you're saying about putting together a scrapbook or blowing up balloons, like those moments need to be praised. And that doesn't mean that um, that doesn't mean that you can't have your eye on the tragedies and and still do things to support those um, in need. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love, I I know that poem that you're talking about. I love the ending because the end, the final stanza, it it really hit me <laughs> so it hit oh, me yeah. at, a, at a time it, it that the final stanza is there will be dishes to do the yeah moon will rise and everyone you love will be safe yeah yeah and it's such they're such simple lines but they're profound they're profound in their simplicity and it's it's one Art. of those things that I think we need to remind ourselves of sometimes Absolutely. Maybe you and I will read those poems to our, our nephew and our son to, and our son today, like as a uh, as part of the birthday celebration. I think I'm going to read that to my my nephew and see what he says about it. So done. I'm doing yeah. that when he gets home. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So um, I want to I want to change the conversation a little bit. You were just yeah. named the poet laureate of Cincinnati. That's yeah. Awesome. Congratulations. That's that's really really. Yeah. Cool. So what this is, this is kind of a special episode because in a couple of years, we're going to come back and do another episode, a part two, where you have finished your tenure. And so to kind of, you know, give some context going into things, what do you want to accomplish during your time? And do you have any projects lined up? I, so I get inaugurated um, in about a week. Um, and I'm super excited about that. And I have a notebook full of ideas. Um, things have not come into to fruition just yet. There are people that I need to talk about um, these ideas with. But um, something that's really important to me um, as, you know, um, I've been in Cincinnati for, for four years, um, but there's still so many things to learn about this city. And so I think something that's important to me um, in terms of thinking about things to prioritize, I would love to um, have part of the laureateship also be in celebration of the history of the city and thinking about um, what are the, the places that exemplify that history and, and who are the people that made these histories come to be. And, and I know that this is, and when I say that, um, I don't mean think, thinking about the, the history of the city, like in a way that's static, but how's it active right now? And so thinking about different neighborhoods, how do you celebrate different neighborhoods? How do you celebrate different um, institutions, both formal institutions and informal institutions in quotations? Um, And how do you bring together um, seemingly disparate communities to interface and enjoy language? And I also, um, which is probably every poet's dream is like, how can I get two more people like poetry? (laughs) I hope it's more than two people, obviously, but um, how do you, um, it's so funny that, um, you know, there's so many people that engage in art, but don't have the language for it or don't know what they're, what they're doing is something that is so cool and so special. And I think I like selfishly want to bear witness to that 
like the aha moments that people have. And I also want to um, facilitate spaces that allow um, folks of, of varying um, backgrounds uh, with poetry to come together and to create art. And so a lot of what I believe in and I espouse and I champion is uh, community engagement. And so thinking about um, thinking about different communities, and I don't want to be too specific about anything. I don't want to jinx anything, but um, I would like to work with different communities of folks, young and old, um, in different places and thinking about vulnerable populations um, and also thinking about ways of bringing light to maybe forgotten places. And so, yeah, I think um, to sum it up, I'm interested in doing work that celebrates community arts, that celebrates the culture and the legacy of Cincinnati, um, work that um, provides safe spaces for, for different folks, and um, work that is uh, that allows us to think and explore um, and challenge each other and feel dignified in the end um, to the end of creating really powerful um, and indelible pieces of art. And so that's kind of my, my master plan. Now I'm just filling in the different places with that, but that's kind of, um, that's my dream. Yeah. Oh, that's, and it's a stellar dream. And I don't think, I don't think it's selfish at all to, to, to want that light bulb because what you're asking for at its, at its heart is to watch someone else be touched in a very positive, creative way. Yeah. And I, and just wanting to bear witness to that, I think really doesn't do justice the amount of time that you're going to put in to make that happen. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, I don't want you to think of it as a selfish thing. I, I, that's important for me to tell you. I think. Yeah. I guess what I mean is like, I mean, it's also why I love teaching so I can, you know, kind of stand behind, I don't know, behind the tech that I don't know how to use and watch the students um, have these <laughs> aha moments. And that's something that is so uh, delightful to me. Um, yeah. I guess selfish was not the right word, but it's something that I, I crave that I, I love seeing. And so I would love to witness more and more of that. So, yeah. Oh, that's delicious. Um, so that's a weird word too. <laughs> a, We're probably a weird we word. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Is tasty fine? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So what, what is, what does the word laureate mean to you? Is it, is it advocacy? Is it, um, knowledge? Is it, you know, what, what combination of things goes into making, because you know, the laureate's a community person. It's yeah, a public yeah. figure. Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like <sighs> the word that comes to mind for me is like a type of empowerment, you know, and I think about, um, again, like, how do you illuminate spaces? That there's something to be done with that. And I think that when I think about laureate, I also think I'm, um, you know, kind of ambassadorial work and that you're presenting or you're speaking on behalf, you've been entrusted to speak on behalf of, of different communities within Cincinnati. Um, uh, not speak on behalf. Um, everybody can speak for themselves, but there is a way that you, you can share your voice um, and share your experience and have a platform to share um, what the city means to you. I think um, it's also a way of sharing, um, in addition to, work around empowerment and, and ambassadorial work. I, uh, there's obviously like a very big artistic enrichment component. Um, in, my, in my tenure, my goal and dream is to grow also as an artist. And so I'm thinking about how do I continue to um, deepen my practice as an artist um, and as a thinker and uh, what are the spaces that I will be in and what are the sort of collaborations that will allow for that? Or what are the, the sort of um, maybe solo endeavors that will provide um, a platform for that sort of um, growth? Mm -hmm. And um, I also think about like, in terms of the other part of Laureate is um, what does the role do for the city, but also what does it do outside of the city? And so, you know, just even our conversation between you know, Northern and Southern Ohio, like that sort of connection. So thinking about connections within the city, but outside of the city. Um, and what does it mean to have um, this sort of um, uh, concept of um, community be something that's within the city limits, but also stretches beyond. And so like, how do we sort of forge this like um, 
sustainable togetherness? Um, and how does how does a, a laureate do that? And I'm not saying that doing it by myself, but how do you collaborate with others to make sure that these things happen and just kind of, um, yeah, create more togetherness as the years goes by. And there's already been wonderful work done by the previous poet laureates, Pauletta Hansel and Manuel Iris, in terms of thinking about um, community um, work collaborations. And I'm really grateful and happy to be following in their footsteps um, and thinking about some of the work that they have done and continue to do um, within um, Cincinnati and beyond. So yeah, I, I think that there's, um, that that's also something to pay attention to as, as a laureate, like um, how are you still a learner? How do you learn from the people around you, the places around you? And how do you do um, a type of reflection work that is helpful to not only you, but everyone else that you're interfacing with? Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I don't want to, so this next question, I'm going to put a caveat, I'm, <laughs> multiple asterisks at the front, at risk of trivializing your prior answers, because it is clear you are community minded, you think beyond yourself. And I don't mm-hmm. want to narrow the focus of the question too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I found fascinating in your prior answer was the idea that this is a platform for growth. And mm-hmm. so you're currently going through this PhD program and you're, you're, I know a grad, graduate programs, I, my MFA was a, a platform for growth is a time where you really focus on those things. So what mm-hmm. would you, since you're kind of doing these things in parallel, mm-hmm. are, is there a difference between the academic and the community? Is mm. there, do they drive you? How do those affect your personal growth? Would you say? And, and what, you know, compare and contrast, I guess. That's a really good question. All these questions are really good. Um, insofar as um, thinking about, well, I've, I've defended my dissertation. So like, I'm not, I'm not really doing these in tandem anymore. Um, I'm just, you know, waiting for that cap and gown to come in the mail, you know, and getting my family over here to graduate. So I'll be, I'll be, That's awesome. yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must be so relieved. <laughs> I'm so but you know, it's that thing where you still think you have a homework assignment or to do. I'm still going through my emails. Like, did I really submit? You know what I mean? I'm, I I'm in my mid thirties. I still have nightmares about high school. It's fine. That doesn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because like, no matter where you go, there is the opportunity um, for community. And I've been really grateful to be um, to have been a student and to be a student at UC, um, University of Cincinnati, and being able to do my um, PhD at the cre- in the creative writing and um, English literature program. That's been wonderful. Um, and I've met a lot of really, really interesting and committed writers and thinkers in the program, my peers, as well as, as the educators there have been wonderful mentors to me. And I think um, in terms of thinking about um, community, there's community there for sure. I also have a very soft spot for young people. I like the, I like the candor of young people. I like the, the, um, yeah, I I just, I I think it's like this disarming honesty and creativity that young people have and not to lump high school students and and college undergrads. They're two distinct groups, but I I really like um, working with them. Um, thus far, I'm looking forward to working with grad students in the future. But um, I, so it's been important in a lot of different places that I've lived to try to see what's going on with with young folks and to check out different places. And when I lived in California, um, I worked with Youth Speaks. So I worked with young people doing workshops, and I worked with the International Congress of Youth Voices, which are working with young people from all over the world that are interested in in different types of. Um, artistic um artistic work and political action so it's been fun to work with those students too and I just um while I was at UC I um was an editor or I am an editor for a huge anthology called what you need to know about me and it's an an anthology of youth writing so young people between 11 and 24 and their experiences with immigration and this book is um gorgeous and massive it's 500 pages of um, nonfiction essays um, and 
poems um, that recall and recount um, that the difficulty and the ease, two different things, difficulties, ease, complexities, I should say, of finding home in a new place. And so that has been a type of community engagement for me, like really, really cool, like having this like pretty digital project that's turning into a book. And I'll show you that. Um, I'd love to show you that the, the cover after after we're done with our, our conversation or during our conversation. But that's been a way of engaging. Um, and that that feels very nour- nourishing for me to... Um, it feels really important to me to be in service of other writers, particularly young writers um, or writers that are first in things, first generation college students, first generation Americans, um, immigrants. I'm just interested in, in working with different communities of, of people. So I was able to do that project. And I've also been working with Wordplay Sensi, which is a, a fabulous nonprofit here in Cincinnati. And I've been able to, and they do really wonderful literary arts projects with students in Cincinnati, as well as I believe homework support and tutoring. And they've just been um, a really wonderful organization to work with since I've gotten to Cincinnati. So I've done some writing workshops with with their students. And um, one of my shiniest moments here um, was a few years ago. Um, We were able to, I was able to work with, I had this idea, what would it be like to get students to come to UC for a day of poetry? And I'm so grateful that um, I got support to make it happen. So I worked with Wordplay and there's a a class, um, there's a a group of students from Aiken High School and they're an an ESL, EFL course. Um, And we got to do a day of poetry with their students. Um, And so uh, UC, the PhD students were involved and met with these students as well as um, students from my uh, poetry class and so um, my undergraduate poetry class and so we were able to have like a um, this really cool day where students um, it was basically a way to give these students from Aiken an opportunity to share their work and their and the the theme of the day was where I'm from and so you know they they followed the the model of the Georgia Ella Lyons, George Ella Lyons poem where I'm from and so they all wrote about where they're from and um, my students, we all did a group piece where I'm from. So this is exchange between the two different groups. And uh, that was really impactful for me because, well, it was awesome to be able to like get everybody in the same room. Like everybody remembered that we were supposed to meet here. Or even the people that went to class, they were like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be in the library. So everybody, we got it all, you know, everybody came together. And it was wonderful to have um, the English department there from UC. So um, uh, Leah Stewart, who was the department head, Jen Glazer, um, who's a, a she's now the department head as an English professor, um, and John Drury, um, who is um, also um, a professor, poetry professor, come and talk about the program, share their experiences with writing themselves, and to have it in the Elston Poetry Room at UC. Um, which was an archive of 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 like it's an arc it's an archive of poems of poetry. All this to say, what was exciting about that? Seeing that moment of discovery for those students um, where they come to, to the podium and they'd share a poem and they would say, this is the first time I've ever read my poems out loud. And that was a really wonderful thing to witness and experience. And these are students who are writing in maybe a second or third or fourth language. They're writing in English about where they're from. And so it's just a really powerful moment to, to receive that, but also for my students to be able to share that. And then also they had a built-in audience of PhD students, school administrators, their peers, um, UC uh, undergrads all in the same space. And so to answer your question, this is a very long response to why community matters to me or what it means. Um, I do my work better when I'm I'm in different places. So I think like um, being a student feeds me, but knowing that there's life outside of campus feeds me also and vice versa. And I think I'm, yeah, I think that's how those two things feed me. Like I, I there's different communities attend to. And I think that I'm, it's both of those communities, you need to be present in them. And so I think I've gotten better at being present and making space for others to be um, received and uh, and to be cheered on. That was a very long response, but um, no, no, no. I that, love the <laughs> that was that was a fascinating response. I thought it was Thank wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so before we go, I want to talk about uh, Bisedu, which is yeah. your PhD thesis, and this 
if if the rest of the book, which I imagine it is, is every bit as good as the 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 the, the title poem, I'm I'm really excited to read it. And th- this book, it's, it was a finalist for the last year's National Poetry Prize. Um, it's it's got all sorts of goodness out of it. And and the the po- the po- uh, collections phrase comes from uh, from what I understand, you and your mother mishearing your brothers saying be safe dude like before they left the house but it, it, well it was it was actually he feels like a brother because uh, i think we're all connected in different ways but it was a stranger we heard oh okay yeah, <laughs> okay a stranger we heard um we heard uh while we were waiting while we were drinking coffee and mm-hmm. the window was down and it this happened like okay when did i write that poem i wrote that poem in 20 it was 2019 i think this happened in like it must have been three or four years before. And I was like, I have to write about that moment. <laughs> and I finally, it finally, and, and I was, you know, talking about walking around with poems and walking around with ideas. And I just, it's, I was carrying that in my head. Like I got to do something with that. But um, it, it's not like we hadn't interacted with that because that like that uh, phrase has become part of our parlance. You know, that's, that's part of our everyday language now, my mother and I, um, but yes. So that is, um, that is the title uh, the title poem of the collection and the the poem the collection had another name before and I'd read the poem to um a group of friends and um and one of them was like that would be a, a really awesome title for a book and mm. I was like whoa you know I typed and I was like this thing feels different you know and I was like we're keeping it so <laughs> that changed everything. And I think the original title may have been something of a spirit that I was trying to write to, but Bisaidu is like, that is the title. It, I, and so, yeah, that's, that's the story of the poem and the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So I, now I have two questions before we wrap mm-hmm. up. So one is, what, so how are you playing with language with this collection and what are you trying to accomplish with it? And two, did that name change, that, that light bulb moment, change your focus like how you approach the collection good question how am I playing with language I think that like um as I'm playing with language I'm also playing with form I think that like I think sometimes like language can be a type of form you know what I mean I think that like like using different types of language um can can uh can uh put certain themes in relief. They, they make certain, they, they surface certain topics or patterns or things you want your, your uh, reader to be sensitive or attuned to. And so I think that's how I play with language. I think that there's some, some limits with language. Um, languages have limits and where one language stops, another one begins or another one can come in, you know, and like kind of passing the baton like you're in a track race and another language will come and kind of take it to the next level or take it to the finish line. And so I think that's um, um, ways that I I think about language. Um, And there's so many ways that there's certain things that English can't do that other languages can. And there's certain things that I think I feel that way. Can I say that in reverse about English, which I, it's a language I adore so much. Um, I think together the, the, the different languages create a type of synergy that is so exciting to me. So it's kind of like what happens when you put all these things like in the pot? I don't know why I'm thinking about a pot. Maybe I'm hungry. But what happens when you put all these things in this container? Like how do they, how do they come together? Or like put them in the beaker? Like what happens when you sort of um, mix these together? And so far as um, if the title change of the book changed the shape of the book. It didn't change the shape of the book. I think that it um, it made me excited. It felt like the right title. I think I was like, okay, this this title is okay. I'm not a I'm not good at titles in general, and, and I'm not good at titles. I'm like, I wrote the poem. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I wrote the book. I don't know what else to tell you. But it felt like a way of like, oh, it just made me excited to just like to have everything lock in place and so it didn't change the mood of the book but perhaps it changed my mood mm-hmm. um, and made me more confident in like finishing this this book and so yeah very cool very cool yeah. all right would you like to read a poem to wrap us up I would love to I will read Be Seydoux to wrap yes. us up That's a- <laughs> such a good poem <laughs> thank you thank you Be Seydoux While sipping coffee in my mother's Toyota, we hear the bird call of two teenage boys in the parking lot. 
I, one says, be say do, the other returns as they reach for each other. Their cupped handshake pops like the first fat firecrackers of summer. Their fingers shimmy as if they're solving a Rubik's cube just beyond our sight. Moments later, their Schwinn's head in opposite directions. My mother turns to me, revealing the milky John Waters mustache-thin foam on her upper lip. Waiting them be say, be say do. Na English, she asks, tickled by this tangle of new language. All right, be safe, dude. I pull apart each syllable like string cheese for her. Oh yeah, dem na real padi, she smiles, surprisingly broken by the tenderness expressed by what half my family might call thugs. Be say do, be say do, be say do, we chirp in the car the nightly into our phones after I leave California. Be say do, she says, as she softly muffles the rattling of my bones in newfound sobriety. Be say do, I say years later, her response made raspy by an oxygen treatment at the ER. Be say do, we whisper to each other across the country, like some word from deep in a somewhere too newborn pure for the outdoors, but we saw those two boys do it in broad daylight under a decadent ruinous sun. Be say do, be say do, we say, be say do and split one more for the road, for all the struggle, tumble, drown, be say do we say, to get on the good foot, we get off of the phone, tight like the bulbous air of two palms that have just kissed. Wonderful. Thank you, Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> well, I'm excited for that collection. Okay, so Thank you. <laughs> this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Yaley, thank you again for coming. This has been such a pleasure. This has been my uh, my first uh, laureate podcast. So this is wonderful. I'm happy that it, 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 uh, it, it um, began with you. So thank you. You're welcome. And there's plenty more to come. Thank you for coming. Oh. <laughs>